Hi, this is Dr. Meg Hayworth, holistic psychologist and nutrition strategist, and you're listening to Get Well Soon podcast series, the show that explores how to heal yourself with food and the power of the mind. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us here today to learn how you can get well soon using mindfulness meditation. Today, I have Juliana Ray with me. Juliana Ray has been training individuals and groups in mindfulness meditation for over 15 years. Juliana has developed on-site and online mindfulness training for enterprise clients and consumers. She delivers keynote and group training to company leaders interested in enhancing their work environment and providing preventative health care through mindfulness meditation. She offers private coaching for her performance professionals, TV personalities, entrepreneurs, and executives in sales and leadership. Having attended over 70 retreats and racked up over, are you ready for this number, 12,000 plus hours of formal practice time, Juliana has rewired her brain creating a new normal for herself, which enables her to truly be of service to her clients. Juliana's emphasis is on helping clients find those specific strategies most relevant for their life and professional environment. As an expert in the system, Juliana teaches clients how to strategically implement practice for specific challenges, leading to accelerated growth giving clients a way to develop skills on the go and providing invaluable tools for self-empowerment. Juliana is a powerhouse. Thank you so much for being on this show, Juliana. Welcome. Thank you, Meg. It's such a pleasure. Thank you. Um, Okay, so you've shared with me that you used mindfulness meditation yourself to help you manage debilitating anxiety. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about your story and how that came about? Absolutely. So um, I discovered mindfulness uh, when I was, uh, um, you know, I I started in L.A. as a professional singer-songwriter. I still make music, (laughs) but uh, I, I... was on Warner Brothers and my deal ended and I slipped into a real depression. I had tremendous uncertainty about my life and I realized that everything hinged on my passion for uh, my creative pursuits, creative and professional pursuits. And I saw that that, you know, that caused me to be at tremendous risk that if things didn't go the way I wanted them to, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, I was, this is a big I was, theme. Yeah, it is a huge <laughs> everybody, theme. Everybody deals with this one and it's a huge conversation to have. Absolutely. But, but yeah, go that disappointment and dealing with the disappointment that your life didn't turn out the way that you wanted it to be. Exactly. So, So how did you deal with it? Well, so it dawned on me one day that even when I was doing what I felt was my life's purpose, I was also at risk because I I walked around with this concern that it would be taken away from me. And so I could see the trap I was in and I wanted to get out of it. And I didn't know how. And I didn't even know that mindfulness would be a solution for me. I just, I was in therapy and I was trying medication for, for, you know, antidepressants and I was struggling with anxiety and I was just at a loss. I mean, I just felt like I don't know what else to do. So I started meditating um, and that was just from like five minutes of instruction from my therapist. She said, well, why don't you try these, these, you know, this practice and see what happens. And I had zero expectations um, uh-huh. yeah, cause I did, I thought, you know, what is sitting, uh, you know, I, 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 what's, yeah. you know what I mean? 10 minutes. What's that going to do for me? Gonna do? You know, the drops can't, you know? Yeah, exactly. Come on. Yeah. Give me drugs. How could you, yeah, exactly. And the drugs weren't working. So I thought that I was really screwed, you know? So right. in fact, they were making matters worse. So I was really at a loss. Um, but I thought I, I was just desperate enough. And I thought, well, it's, it's something that I can do that's within my control. It's holistic. I liked that. I've never been big on medication, just generally for myself personally. So I loved that it, it was something that I could do for myself and, and have had some control over the volume, if you will. In other words, that I could do it as much as I wanted to, that I could control that. So yeah. I started off just doing a half an hour a day of these practices. And, you know, two years later, I was still doing it. Um, uh-huh. And 
I, I didn't quite know what I was doing. I didn't have any outside instruction, but things started to happen. And one of the things that motivated me to be a trainer is that I'd love to compress the learning curve for people just starting out. So it doesn't take two years to kind of go, hey, this stuff really works. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a great, yeah. great thing. Yeah, because, you know, I think a lot of people don't have that kind of patience yeah. and that kind of discipline to do that over and over and wait. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people give up on meditation. Do you, do you find that's true? Absolutely. It's subtle at first. And fortunately I saw that it was doing something right away. I felt more grounded. I had psychological insights I found interesting. So it was enough for me. And since I didn't really, I wasn't, you know, viewing it as anything more than, Hey, this could help me. And I noticed, Hey, it is helping me. Okay. I'll keep with this. And I, I didn't really give it much more thought than that. Um, but yes, I think a lot of people, they have great expectations of the practice. They also have tremendous expectations of themselves, you know? Yes. <laughs> good point. That's a really, yeah, good point. I'm supposed to just drop into some deep state and you know, what, what do I do if I don't? And luckily for me, I didn't have, you know, I didn't know anything about it. So in a way, in that case, my naivety, um, mm -hmm. and my lack of expectations made me more receptive to, well, look, is this working? Well, it seems to be okay. Then I'll keep doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Keep at yeah. it. Yeah. So, so you're, you're into the practice. You've been doing it for two years. You're, you're seeing results. You're, you're getting better and what happens next? Right. So that's where things got, that's where things took a radical turn. I, okay. I saw that I was having some experiences that, you know, my paradigm is psychology, both my parents, that's their background, um, okay. psychotherapists. And so I, that was a familiar paradigm for me, but these experiences mm -hmm. I started having were physical in nature. Um, and I, they, they, they were outside the, my filter of understanding the world. And I realized at that moment, I should probably have some instruction. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was just subtle. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. What do you mean they were physical? Yeah. Like you were starting to have pain no, uh, happen or release or? Yeah, or... it was subtle. Th little things like, gee, at the end of my exhale, there's something kind of delicious <laughs> happening. And mm. I don't, <laughs> I don't wow. understand what it is, but I like it and I'd like to do more of it. And, huh, you know, the, things like that where it was like, gee, something really pleasant is happening or something mm -hmm. odd is happening. I, I closed my eyes one day and I, I felt as though I was upside down, that my compass had been reversed. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So little things like that, 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 you know, were very tangible. In other words, yeah. I literally felt like I was upside down and I thought, right. how, why is this happening? Right. <laughs> exactly. This is... And that could, that could be perceived as a big thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, curious, you know, but I think, I think we all go through those points in our lives where we feel upside down backwards. We're spinning in something. Yes. Um, you know, all these metaphors are, are clues, I think. That's to help right. Us heal. That's right. And also, yeah. you know, what you find with practice is that you're being led to an understanding um, that you, yes, yes, you are this limited identity, you know, you're Meg, I'm Juliana, but also you're not, you're, you're <laughs> not separate, you know, you're not, um, you're not just oriented in time and space in this particular limited way. Um, there is a bigger picture. And I think these types of experiences that we have are an opening to recognize, oh, well, there's another way to understand orientation, for example. Um, yes. So I didn't understand. I didn't have a context for that at the time. I just thought, huh, this is weird. I don't get it. But it's real in the sense that, you know, it's hap it's an experience that's happening to me. I'm not making this up. So mm -hmm. what do I do? I guess I should find an expert in this area. Okay. So that's, is that what you did then? Next? That's right. The next step was to find an expert. <laughs> yeah. um, and I didn't have to wait long. I knew that I'm very um, pragmatic and skeptical by nature. So mm -hmm. I knew that if it was too, um, you know, what I would call woo-woo. Yeah, um, out there. Yeah. <laughs> if it was yeah. too far out, I wasn't going to go for it. So I knew that I had mm -hmm. to find 
someone that I related to that spoke, that was, you know, where logic was the primary, you know, where I, okay. I could find myself saying, oh yeah, that makes sense. And so, because then I, if not, I, I ran the risk of, you know, if somebody had started talking to me about chakras and crystals at that time, I would uh-huh. run screaming out of the burning building. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. And then you would have missed out on yes, something really powerful. Exactly. That's right. So that's good. So you came to mindfulness and you found that it was a logical, pragmatic, pra- pragmatic practice that you, you could really connect with that's, from that place. That's right. So the big breakthrough came, I, I got, I got turned on to this teacher, Shinzen Young, and I called, I was given cassettes. This is how long ago that was. And (laughs) and I I called for more cassettes and they said, oh, he's leading this retreat. Why don't you come on that? And I thought, okay, I I, I was scared to death. I mean, I just thought... You know, like I was had been practicing for half an hour a day, and suddenly it was like six days straight. You know, so yeah, like how are you going to do that? That I, just seems so overwhelming. I couldn't imagine. It? Yeah, I I could barely get through half an hour. How how's that going to work? So, yeah. um, but I was just desperate enough, and really, I was at a point of deep. I was freaked out. I was in an unhealthy relationship. I was, you know, on these medications that were making matters worse. And I, I really was at a loss. So I decided I'm going to wean myself off of the medication. I'm going to go on this retreat and, Mm -hmm. um, see what happens. And on that retreat, um, about the third day in, I had an experience that radically changed my understanding of what was possible. I, um, I was sitting eating a salad. You'll appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Clean food. <laughs> and I bit into a radish and I was chewing the radish and I, I had dropped into a, a deep state of concentration and I was able to track this very subtle nuances of the heat of the radish and the tingling of the radish. I could feel it in my jaw huh. and it began to, I began to notice the flow of sensation up close and it became just a pleasant flow of of sensation of energy and that started to suffuse my whole head and the next thing I knew I had this bliss geyser shooting out the top of my head eating my (laughs) eating a radish right I love it a bliss geyser (laughs) geyser. radish eating so um, (laughs) of all things a radish taught you that right that's so beautiful. I, I thought it was a perfect thing to share with your listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. What a radish can teach That's you. That's right. Could be, that could be a book right there. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we'll have to write it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so anyway, so that that taught me a huge lesson, though. In that moment, I thought, you know what? My body and mind are far more resilient than I have been giving myself credit for. That was the biggest insight. What a big realization. And that's so important to people that have chronic illness. That's right. Because many of us, I know I was in this category, are completely disconnected from our bodies. We really don't understand. Like we can feel the pain. (laughs) Yeah, that's there. That's really loud. But but all of the the joy that's available is there too. Yeah, absolutely. And it's allowing that to come up. And it sounds like through your practice, this just organically came through. That's right. That's right. And it taught me, hey, look, you just sat and did a bunch of of mental exercises for a few days in a row. Mm -hmm. And you had this profound ecstatic experience. I mean, really incomparable to uh, anything I had known before. Mm -hmm. And uh, that means that if you can stick with and do a lot of this practice, you can start to have these experiences more and more and you can, over time, rewire yourself. You can have a new baseline, a new permanent wow. baseline of, of well-being and, and tranquility and um, energy. So that and that is what I've done. Now, an interesting thing that I think may relate also to, you know, our topic today is um, so... I got back from that retreat and I immediately, my boyfriend broke up with me <laughs> and, wow. and it was a, not a good relationship as I mentioned, but um, I was so high from my experience that I quickly moved to just to accept it and accept him and okay, uh-huh. okay, that's fine. And um, so I did that and then 
the next, in the middle of the night, I woke up that night and I went to the bathroom. I came back and I, my back went into spasm. Wow. Okay. Fading spasm. And I was literally down on the floor. I could, I couldn't move. I didn't know what had happened. I thought something terrible had happened. And wow. Last. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I went and got it checked out. Now this is where, um, my story, I, I will say that my story is distinct and separate from mindfulness in the sense that the path I took is not necessarily, um, directly on topic, but Uh it relates to finding the best healing, uh, modality for your condition. I guess is what. Uh, okay, got it. So yeah, that just makes sense. To make that a good example of different different choices that we make along that. the way of our healing pathway. That's right. Because what I learned, so I went and and got it checked out. Western medicine uh, gave the diagnosis. That they showed me that on my MRI I had two herniated discs, and oh, ouch! They, yeah, they <laughs> concluded that I had sat too much, and that on the retreat, and that I needed. Um, Oh. Uh, physical therapy and acupuncture and blah blah. So I went down this path of trying to heal it physically for two and a half years, and it kept getting worse. Oh no, chronic that's pain. a long time. Yeah. Chronic pain for two and a half years. So the good news about that, because now I'm completely pain free, but the good news about that is I learned a tremendous uh, amount as a result of having lived through that, and and I certainly understand. Um, you know, your listeners who struggle with chronic pain, I know exactly what that's like because I, I couldn't sit for more than five minutes without being in pain. And it was devastating and debilitating and really restricted my life. What I mm-hmm. eventually came to understand was mm-hmm. that so um, mindfulness, it it initiates a process of purification where stuff comes up from uh, your past. It, it, it releases stuff, including yes. trauma. So mm-hmm. what happened was I had a mechanism in place to shove that stuff down as hard as possible. <laughs> that was... <laughs> as we all as do. We all do. <laughs> being conscious about it. Uh, I, I was, in fact, totally unconscious because I, I thought, you know, hey, I, I'm the daughter of two psychotherapists. I've been in psychotherapy I know what's what. So, (laughs) so I'm an expert. So I I really thought like, uh, it couldn't possibly be that, you know? Um, so, uh, I, I sort of rejected any, you know, for initially I rejected any possible psychological, uh, um, interpretation of what was going on because the pain was real and I felt like I was on top of my game psychologically with myself. So, um, but what I, I eventually got a $10 book called Healing Back Pain by John Sarno, which I highly, recommend. Uh, I've read that yeah. one. That's a great book. It's, it's really great because it, it goes into an entire different diagnosis that most doctors don't look at, um, entirely That's different. Right. And, uh, it's, it's powerful. I've, I've known a number of people, not just you, but who've read that book and their back pain went away after reading the book. Yeah. yeah. So I just had to get that in there. But go ahead. So what happened for you? Well, so what happened for me is uh, um, I eventually got that book and resolved the pain completely. But what, uh-huh. what I concluded, and then mm-hmm. once I understood the mechanism, the psychological mechanism, and this is where I, I'm kind of reinforcing this idea of different support for different purposes. Once I mm-hmm. understood the mechanism that was playing out, my mindfulness practice became a tremendous support um, but before then, uh, if I had just stuck with mindfulness and had never gotten that book, uh, mm-hmm. I, I might still be in chronic pain. I might still be managing my pain. So, yeah, this is a really important point for everybody listening. Mm-hmm. I, I say this all the time. It takes a team of people to help you get well. Mm-hmm. It's not about just going to one doctor who's shoving medications at you. It's and everybody has their own path. Right. Everybody's path is different. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So what I learned was that the the mindfulness was simultaneously awakening the potential of my body to heal itself mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. also releasing past trauma. I just didn't understand 
that releasing part. I didn't understand how it was butting up against my repressive habit, my repressive mechanism. Mm -hmm. And, and that butting up process was, was causing these pain symptoms. And once I recognized, oh, the pain is happening as a diversion from, you know, it's, it's happening because I'm trying to repress very strong feelings that are coming up. And okay. And it's, that's a biggie. That's a biggie. Everybody listen to that one. And it's also (laughs) happening because even, even if the feelings aren't so strong, um, it's happening because I have this, this pattern, this habitual pattern of repression. So even mm-hmm. if it's really subtle, um, you know, it's, it's, you're so habituated in yes. the repressive approach that mm-hmm. you don't even realize you're feeling angry when you're feeling angry. And symptoms will come up to let you know, at least what I discovered from my own uh, path was symptoms came up to let me know, hey, guess what? Uh, there's some repression going on right now. You need to try and uh, look at look at your life circumstances and figure out what you may you know be resisting or not uh, what you may be uh, fighting. That's it right there too. I think the resistance and the fighting uh, of something, some emotional habit that you have that keeps coming up and up and up. <laughs> and you keep saying, no, 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 no. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to deal with you. No, too much. You just go yeah. over there in the corner and play with your crowns, little child, little emotional body. <laughs> just stay, stay away. That's it. Um, but also there's repressed memories. And I think this is an important thing to bring up here too, is that uh, I found this with a number of clients where there's a very traumatic memory that's been held in mm-hmm. that, um, through therapy and through allowing it to come out, releases the person from the pain, it releases them from that stuck place. It's I've seen it happen every time. It's fascinating and really beautiful. Absolutely. Um, and so that's where like mindfulness is a broad stroke training. In other words, um, you can you, you can you are rewiring your sort of base level of well being, but you may not in mindfulness ever get to a particular psychological trauma, for example, because you're only working with what you detect, what you notice. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a strong repressive pattern happening, um, repression is what it sounds like. You don't even realize that you're feeling mm-hmm. angry when you're feeling, you're not noticing it. You're like, I feel fine. I don't feel angry. Right. <laughs> right. It's know. just so normal. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's buried. It's buried so deeply that you literally on the surface, when you're doing your mindfulness practice, you don't notice it. So what I learned was, okay, so I use other, other practices, other techniques. So for example, psychotherapy or this book, uh, healing back pain, which has its own approach. Um, I use those in complement with mindfulness and then mindfulness heightens and enhances the benefit that I get from, you know, the, the, the other ways of working. So they work in a complementary way. Now, knowing everything that you know, and knowing that there are a lot of people that would be listening to this that are probably in a tremendous amount of pain, very, very sick. Um, what do you suggest yeah. to them? Like how can mindfulness help them manage their illness or pain? Absolutely. So the thing that's extraordinary about mindfulness um, is our ability to completely reframe our relationship to pain, whether it's emotional or physical, and in doing that, really release it and so I'll go back to my personal challenge emotionally. Mm-hmm. I used to be, at one point in my life, I was suicidal in my, in my 20s, mm-hmm. and I, I struggled with depression a lot. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I look back on 20 years ago, and I mean, it's not like my problems have been eradicated by any means, but I look back on where I was at 20 years ago, and I see that, I, I see where I, my baseline was. I see where my stasis was, like the home mm-hmm that emotionally that I lived in on a daily basis. And that home was, that was a tough place to be because if something good happened, I might shoot up for a little while, but then I'd go back down to that Mm. home of kind of chronic uh, unhappiness. And if something bad happened, I ran the risk of dropping down even further down the rabbit hole. So the thing that's really shifted for me is now there is a huge um, 
there's a huge difference in the the base level, right? So my home base, you know, mm-hmm. I I spend so much more time uh, feeling good, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. physically, emotionally. Um, that 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 has become my home base, where I I know I can trust that to be the the place I inhabit inside myself consistently, regularly, and the. The deeper than that, though, is that so if something good happens, I know that I know how to work with the good thing so that it elevates that level even further. And okay. if something bad happens, I know mm-hmm. how to work with that bad thing so that it elevates my base level of fulfillment and well-being. And so okay. that's so is that something that you can help your is that something you help your clients with as well? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, okay, great. And that is what the training does. You, you are learning to work with your chronic illness, your chronic pain, whatever it may be. You are learning to work with it so that you can be productive so that you can use the condition that you're stuck with as Mm -hmm. basically as a monastery to, um, (laughs) to deepen, to deepen who you are as a human being and also ultimately to elevate your fulfillment, your well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's why the, the research has shown that mindfulness actually, um, it uh, heightens our, strengthens our immune system. So uh-huh. it literally does improve you physiologically and it's because you're taking the fight out of your relationship to your experience. And as a result, <laughs> you know, taking the fight out of it, you're not depleting yourself further. Uh, you know, one of the great struggles with, with chronic illness or pain is how depleting it is, how little yeah. energy you have to even figure out what you might be repressing. You know, I would, I would get, you know, my back would go into spasm and I'd try to think, okay, even as I was healing, you know, it was like, what am I repressing? What, what am I angry mm-hmm. about? I couldn't even think straight, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in so much discomfort. So, but when you understand how to work with your symptoms, then mm-hmm. they become a, 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 a way for you to productively improve your life. And yes. that's empowering. Yeah. So they become your ally. Ally. You make allies with them. That's right. You make allies and with it. That's right. It really makes a huge difference. I mean, I do I approach it in a different way, but it's very much a similar thing where you learn to love those parts of the self that are in pain. That's, that's right. all they want. Exactly. That's, <laughs> that's all they right. want. That is They've been it. crying out and they're crying out through the pain in your body. That's it. Exactly. Um, yeah. Wow. So that's because this is so meaty and lovely. I love this. Yeah, you too. <laughs> so, so, okay. So you you also say that mindfulness helps anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell listeners a little bit about how that can help them? Absolutely. Well, definitely just from a science perspective, research has shown um, improvement in emotional regulation and empathy. Um, so uh, there's definitely sort of the science out there that supports it. But just in terms of um, from my own experience and from the experience of clients. So in the same way that we, you know, tend to fight with and resist our physical experience, the same thing happens with our emotional life. And in fact, even more so because um Emotions are that much closer to our sense of self. So we tend Uh to more strongly identify with our emotional life. We tend to, you know, claim ownership of it. This is, these are my feelings and I feel that way because of this thing that happened. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we get caught in our feelings and the way they connect to our thinking. You know, he shouldn't have done that, right? You know, so you, and and then you feel angry, Uh, you know, why does he always do that? And then you feel hopeless. And so... There is this uh, link between thoughts and feelings. They fuel and reinforce one another in an in an unfortunate spin. And then the yeah. feelings bounce off of one another. The anger bounces off the hopelessness and reinforces <laughs> it. And this is all happening um, below the level of our awareness. It's happening instantaneously and it's happening uh, over and over again. So it snowballs. And yes. what we do when we practice mindfulness is we deconstruct our moment-by-moment experience so that we can detect, 
okay, there's these thoughts happening ah, and there's these feelings happening. And Mm -hmm. in doing that, release you. It's like you're untangling the strands of experience, the way they've, they've been bound together and you're reducing Mm -hmm. the suffering because taken by itself, a thought like he shouldn't have done that isn't intrinsically a problem. It's the fact that it's linked to, it's tied to all sorts of associations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the feeling of anger and outrage and then what that then sparks. So when you start to disentangle, if you can just experience the anger as uh, a- an energy in your body, it's taking place. Anger is, you know, happens in a certain place. You, you may not uh-huh. you may not have ever thought of it that way, but right. anger happens in a certain location in your body. It has mm-hmm. a level of intensity. It feels a particular way. Um, mm-hmm. It moves or stays still. Um, so when you discover anger in terms of its unique properties, mm-hmm. then taken on its own, it's a much more manageable experience than when mm-hmm. you when it's tied to thinking and the thinking reinforces the feeling and then that triggers other feelings and then they bounce off of so by deconstructing mm-hmm. your experience you make it more manageable same thing holds true by the way okay. with uh chronic illness chronic illness um we you know triggers all sorts of emotional reactions and then the the emotional reactions mm-hmm. can intensify the physical pain we're experiencing so when you're able to tease out, um, you know, that, that hopelessness or frustration, um, mm-hmm. uh, discouragement, whatever it is that you're, that you're struggling with around the physical um, pain or the illness, that does, has the same effect. It reduces your overwhelm from the overall experience. It makes the whole thing more manageable. Uh, okay. and, and it helps you process it helps you metabolize your experience uh, efficiently so that you get down to the heart of, of experience. And at the heart of any experience, it's just energy. When you mm-hmm. really get down to it, an emotion, a, a moment of anger is a, just an arising of a particular form of energy. And mm-hmm. it, okay. and so you're able to – you you develop – your concentrations, your ability to stay with your experience, you develop clarity, sensory clarity. So you, mm-hmm. you have, um, you, you are able to track your experience as it's happening. Um, and you develop equanimity, which is having a, a an acceptance of what's happening mm-hmm. or being able to open up to what's happening. And those three skills are uh, the skills of mindfulness. They're what enable you to um, manage your condition more and more effectively and optimally. Wow. Sounds really powerful. <laughs> um, and I think too, one of the pieces here is that all of the scientific information that there is behind this, um, I wanted to bring up here cause I think it's important to mention is that, um, you were in a recent study at UCLA of long-term meditators, mm-hmm. um, brains versus non-meditators. Can you tell us the results of that? Yeah. And you were on the news and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all of that. So. Absolutely. So um, they did this this uh, study and there are just, I mean, I think there's something like 60 studies a month being done at this point. There's a huge boom in scientific research, especially in mindfulness is sort of the most popular form of meditation in the West and it's the most highly researched form. Um, mm-hmm. Part of that is because it's... Uh, Mindfulness doesn't is secular. It doesn't have any association with a particular religion, um, okay. but also because it's structured in a very systematic way. That's that um, is uh, that marries well with scientific research. So mm. they're able to start to track what's you know what are the benefits. And when I did the study, they had uh, fifty long term meditators, and then they had a control group. I believe that's the breakdown. And so. After I, they had an MRI, they did an MRI of my brain and afterwards the researcher actually showed me my brain against a control who's my same age, um, left-handed like I am and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, female, healthy, et cetera. And you could see, it wasn't subtle. You could see that there were (laughs) far more gray patches on her brain and on the brain of the, the woman who did not meditate. That's right. And the researchers said, yeah, this is a consistent, 
this is what we're finding consistently. Um, wow. The gray patches are an indicator of, of the natural degeneration process that happens to all of our brains. But by comparison, the meditator's brain is, uh, shows significantly less degeneration. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And how do they know, like, how quickly after ah. starting a practice like mindfulness, the brain can start to change? That's a great question. They've shown that in as little as eight weeks of training. Uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's powerful. So you don't have to so. be, go like, I mean, you know, you don't have to rack up those 12,000 hours to, <laughs> to, really, uh, to really get the benefits of practice. Not, not everybody is going to want to go as immersively as I went. I just, uh, you know, I couldn't argue with the results. And so I, I, and I, 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 it became more and more meaningful to me. But that is not to say that, you know, as, you won't derive benefit just from eight weeks, even less. I mean, even four weeks. People sometimes notice results after their first uh, time practicing. You know, you, it's okay. it's different for everybody. So, but the the science anyway lets us know that there are yeah even short term practice shows results, positive results. Can you describe just a little bit more what your brain scan, your MRI looked like? What my sorry, say that again. Your MRI, what it looked like. Oh, uh-huh. So it's funny. Actually, this is kind of hilarious. I gave a keynote recently, and and uh-huh. um, before the keynote, the researcher said, uh, hey, we've been contacted by this um, this news team. They want to they want to um, do a, a, an interview. They had this idea to have, like, a huge picture of your brain above your head while, while you're talking. <laughs> so... Great. Like, that's awesome. You can use I want my to brain see your brain. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and I said, in fact, hey, I'm giving this keynote. Can I have my brain? And uh, and they said, uh, well, we we can't send you the whole thing because it's too big. It won't fit on the file. <laughs> I, I know. So I said, uh, okay. Well, so they said we'll send you a slice. So they sent me a slice of my brain. Um, and. Uh, you know, of course, it's like, what does that mean to anybody looking at my brain? Not much, but um, it was it was hilarious. And uh, uh, so you could just see that that comparatively speaking, they're just yeah. my brain was just much more free of these gray patches. And in addition to that, they noticed that my brain had more of what's called gyrifications. And there's a link between gyrifications and neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity is associated with the resilience of the brain. So, um, you know, just the overall health, the, the, uh, definitely seems to be, um, affected by this practice, at least according to the research that's been done so far. Wow. That's really powerful. That's really powerful information. Anybody who's listening to this, like just, just start the practice. (laughs) (laughs) Dive in. The water's fine. I do have a quick question before we get into, you're going to do a brief meditation for listeners, but um, something that I hear a lot of people say um, is that, um, uh, you know, they've tried to sit and meditate, but it's too difficult for them. And so instead they go running and my running's a meditation or my, my, um, you know, listening to music or dancing around my house is a meditation. Can you address that? I can. That? I have some strong feelings about that. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, here's how I would put it. Your dancing around the house can potentially be a meditation. Uh, mm-hmm. Your running can potentially be a meditation, but chances are it isn't just yet. Um, mm-hmm. And what I would say is if you're running, um, mm-hmm leads to profound insight in the rest of your life, then mm-hmm. it's a practice. If, if your running is just a way, um, you know, to get into the zone for a window of time and it doesn't carry over into the rest of your life, then it is not a practice. So the idea being that meditation is not just a, a sanctuary that you go to, um, you know, maybe to help you, manage the rest of your day uh, because you're riding on the, the, the benefit of that. Mm-hmm. Um, meditation is a set of very specific skills and techniques. And as a result of doing them, 
your entire life can be in the zone. So mm-hmm. I just want mm-hmm. people to recognize um, that, that the power of that, because yes. Um, and I understand, you know, when, when, when you have a good run and you're in the zone, it, mm-hmm. it feels unbeatable, but I don't want people to be confused and think that that's all meditation offers. It's just, uh, so much more than that. Um, it is a, it's a radical, um, tool if you yes. know how to use it. So, uh, that's, that's all I would say about that. Uh, yeah. and you can you can learn how too. if you're someone who has a hard time sitting still, for example, if you get agitated or um, mm-hmm. you don't know how to you, you struggle with the racing mind and you don't really want to try and work with it. Um, you can learn skills so that you can do practice in while you're running. That's a totally legitimate thing to do. Okay. Yeah. And it's and, it, and it, it's a great way to practice. Is that something you would coach people on? Mm-hmm. I do a lot. I actually had one of my clients did an Ironman. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, so we prepped for his Ironman with training and he attributed the the mindfulness skills to completing that Ironman because, um, and in fact, uh, um, so what it does basically is it it helps you uh, not um, diffuse your energy. In, in, in unproductive ways. It helps you stay on track. So he, okay. uh, at the, uh, the Ironman took place on a day in which there was just terrible weather. And, um, he, uh, he, it, it was so bad. It was like thunder and lightning and, oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> and they're all swimming in the lake. So they, they <gasps> pulled everybody out of the lake and, wow. They, everybody was freaked out, uh, you know, because suddenly there was no staggering and they're all out on mass and they're all walking together to, the, to get to the next, uh, um, uh, you know, to the, to the bike riding. And um, he mm-hmm. noticed that people's energy was, was getting, uh, um, was, was uh, uh, bleeding out uh, uh-huh. because they were frustrated about the, the unexpected change of events. And mm-hmm. he knew how to stay on track. He knew how to conserve his energy, which in a race like that, yeah, which is 17 yeah. hours long, you better conserve your energy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. So, so that's something that you teach people with mindfulness is to help them conserve their energy as well. Absolutely. Help them meter it. Yes, that's Self-meter. right. That's right. So, wow. yeah, so you can definitely learn, uh, you know, how to do it. And the, the great news is then it, it also, um, um, improves your performance. So it, it improves your performance and it accelerates your, your growth with your mindfulness practice. And that the, you know, the, the key is uh, what you're doing while you work out, are you noticing the results in the rest of your day? That's what you want to start to, to track. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay, great. Excellent. All right. So can we do a, a little yeah. meditation. Absolutely. So um, we'll do a little uh, five-minute uh, guided practice. Um, wonder, I could give you sort of a general, there's a see, hear, feel practice that's sort of like a general way to kick things off. Or I could give you a practice on relaxation. Um, I'm kind of feeling like maybe relaxation would be good for your group. Yes, yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah, because I think that's a big part of, you know, when you're in mm-hmm. a tremendous amount of pain, yes. you just want to be able to relax and not feel so stressed out about it because yes, exactly. there's so many emotions that come up when you're definitely in that space. Definitely. Perfect. Okay. So let's do that then. So, um, I'm going to just start the guidance and, uh, and we'll take it from there. I'll probably talk a little bit more than I normally would just to point out what the skills are. So you understand what you're doing and can practice on your own. Okay. So take a moment. Find a position that is comfortable but alert. Maybe sitting up in a tall chair with your spine long. Or if you need to recline, that's fine. But you might want to work with your eyes open so you don't fall asleep. So whether your eyes are open or closed, bringing your attention into the body. And scanning your body for relaxation. 
wherever you detect it, however subtle. The breath is can be a very good place to locate relaxation. The exhale gives the muscles that have opened the lungs a chance to relax. So you might detect relaxation on the exhale. So you can bring your attention to different locations in the body where you notice relaxation or stick with just one location. And you are going to develop a rhythm by bringing your attention to relaxation and staying with that experience of relaxation for a few moments. Then bringing your attention to relaxation again, staying with that experience for a few moments in a consistent repetitive pattern returning your attention again and again to relaxation. With your attention becoming curious and interested in the experience in the quality of relaxation. What does it feel like? Where is it located? Is it strong or subtle? Does it move or stay still? If it stays still, letting relaxation stabilize you. If it moves, sinking more deeply into relaxation. And doing your best not to have a preference for relaxation to be strong or subtle. If relaxation is subtle right now, then you are strengthening your concentration by choosing to focus on something subtle. So developing your ability to just accept exactly what's happening right now emphasizing the quality of relaxation in your body while doing your best just to let everything else be in the background. Pain does not have to go away. You just do your best to de-emphasize it in your awareness and instead focus on relaxation which may be more subtle. Okay, great work. Yes. <laughs> of course I had to do it. Completely relaxing. Wonderful. Yeah. What what a beautiful thing to do. And it's what I'm always telling people is focusing on thoughts that are powerful rather than the ones that are disempowering. And it's the same sort of thing where you're saying to focus on the relaxation in your body because it's there. That's right. 
it's there. You just have to get quiet and find That's it. That's right. You have to nurture the relaxation with your attention. It's like a seedling. You know, all this noise mm-hmm. is going on, all these weeds in the form of, of pain and uh, uh, discomfort are are going on. And actually, I wouldn't even call pain a weed. I would just say that there are, there are all these, uh, there's a lot of activation that pulls our focus, that's, that, that yells very loudly at us. And by choosing, as challenging as it is, to, by choosing the subtle, by choosing to detect relaxation and cultivate it, you're strengthening your concentration, which is your ability to choose uh, what you focus on, choose to focus on what matters to you. And in doing that, if you, if you send your mind the message that relaxation matters to you, uh, mm. then you start to discover it more and more fully and uh, you learn to you know the pain doesn't have to go away you just learn how to it's like reading a book in a crowded room I always use that metaphor you Uh you know at first you start to read the book and all you can hear is the crowded room but (laughs) as you get engaged in that book that crowded room just disappears of its own you don't you don't sit there and say you know you don't sit there and try to get the crowded room to disappear the noise of it it just that mm-hmm. you get so engaged in reading the book yes that because your focus shifts and so that's right what you focus on you get more of so focus on relaxation exactly. that's a big that's takeaway from that yep that was great I really enjoyed that wonderful thanks very peaceful so Oh, gosh, thank you so much for this. Can you let listeners know how to get in touch with you? And you've got a free offering for them, too. So For sure, yeah. Um, it's an easy one to remember, freemeditationlesson.com. That's the URL. And um, there's a, a free video as well as a free guided practice. Um, and uh, that's a great way to get started on a very affordable um, training. And... Um, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the that's the main site where people. Can, that's great. Yeah. That's great, and so they can learn about you, and then they can sign up with you. Exactly. And then, do you um, you do you do consultations with people to see? I also do pro- coaching. Uh huh. Um, okay. And uh, my coaching site is popgozen.com. P o p g o z e n dot com. That uh, that's my corporate site, and that's more for one on one coaching, and uh, you know. Uh, people who need more um, immersive training with me. Uh, Okay, great. Wonderful. Oh, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. So it's such a pleasure, Meg. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, I hope that this information that has been given to, to you today by Juliana Ray helps you get well soon. For more information, go to meghayworth.com to sign up for our email list, get your free copy of five anti-inflammatory on-the-go lunch recipes, and access to our private Facebook community. Thank you so much for listening.